So the Bible reading is from Acts chapter 4, verse 32 to Acts chapter 5, verse 11. So that's Acts chapter 4, verse 32 to Acts chapter 5, verse 11. The believers share their possessions. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claims that any of their possessions were their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them that there was no needy persons among them. From time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and placed them at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to those who were in need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, who the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Later, a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, had also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept some for yourself of the money you received for the land. Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not just lied to human beings, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized upon all who had heard what had happened. Then some young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, Tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for this land? Yes, this is the price. Peter said to her, how could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried you, husband, are at the door, and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down and died. Then the young men came in, and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear had been seized upon the whole church, and all who had heard about the events. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks so much, Ben. Uh, friends, we've got a little uh, video as we get started. Thanks, Vaughan.
Probably enough. <laughs> uh, I wonder who's seen The Lion King. It's a little bit of an old movie now. Uh, did the kids recognise it? It's kind of a classic from when I was a kid, that one. The adults recognise it. I think your parents might remember watching it. Uh, at the start of the movie, The Lion King, Mufasa is the king of the Pride Lands. It's a peaceful, happy kingdom. All the animals live together in the circle of life, like we heard. And Mufasa's son, Simba, who we meet there, is destined to be the next Lion King. Imagine if you were an animal living in the Pride Lands. Uh, maybe you'd be an elephant or a gazelle or a flamingo. We've got some flamingos. Uh, it looks like it'd be lots of fun, doesn't it? You'd have lots to eat. You'd be happy. Everything would be good. But not forever, because... Mufasa has an evil brother, Scar. And when he betrays Mufasa and threatens Simba's life, it's not just Simba at risk. The whole Pride Lands are in danger. It's bad news for all the animals. Sometimes the most dangerous enemies are not out there, but within. Our passage from the Bible today uh, about the Christian church soon after Jesus uh, particularly about Ananias and Sapphira, uh, it raises lots of questions for us. Uh, we're going to get to them in a moment. But uh, firstly, like the Lion King, it begins with a beautiful community. We then see a threat to that community. Uh, so let's think a bit about this passage in more detail. We're going to start in chapter 4, verse 32 to 35. You can keep that open to look at it in your Bible. Uh, we see what this beautiful community is like like we saw in uh, Kirsty's uh, kids' spot before. Verse 32 says, All the believers were one in heart and mind. Everyone is united. They get on well together. Uh, think about a friend at school who you enjoy playing with. Right? Some people we just get on easily with. You have lots of fun with them. You don't fight or argue. They don't hurt you. We just get on well. The amazing thing about the first Christians is they all got on well together. They didn't fight or argue. They don't hurt each other. They're not mean. They care for each other. And they do this because they all believe in Jesus. Because God's Spirit is in each of them. 
when we believe in Jesus, God's Spirit fills us and unites us to other Christians. We're on the same team. Are there other Christians at your school or your uni or your workplace? We're on the same team. They share the same spirit as you. Well, they care so much for each other in this beautiful community that they even give money to each other. Not just, yeah, not just food and fridges and clothing, money. They don't say, this is mine and hold it for themselves. They share their things. Sometimes they even sell their land or their house and give money to help others. They don't have to do this. They want to do it. They want to help others and be generous because God has been so generous to them. God gave them an awesome gift, so they give to others too. There's so much love and trust and care. People make big sacrifices for the sake of others and for the sake of the community. Uh, We hear they also tell people about Jesus. They tell people that Jesus died on the cross and then rose from the dead. And so now Jesus is the king. And when people hear this message and see the beautiful community where everyone is united and caring for each other, it's really powerful. Uh, There's one man we meet, uh, Joseph, who's very encouraging. He sells a field that he owns. He brings the money to the apostles so they can give it to those uh, who are poor and need help. Uh, Joseph is so encouraging, he got a nickname. Uh, Now, if you had a friend uh, called Joseph, uh, what would you call him? Joe? Joey? Yep. Uh, Well, first century Christians were a little more original than Australians. A little more creative, perhaps. Uh, He gets a better nickname than that. He gets called Barnabas. Uh, That means son of encouragement. It means he was really encouraging. But not everyone is like Barnabas. There are some other people. Uh, They're called Ananias and Sapphira. Uh, They're the ones that actually need a nickname. They've got really long names. Um, They don't have nicknames. Uh, They become a threat to this community because they also sell some property. But they're very sneaky with the money, aren't they? They they pretend to give all the money, to give it to the apostles, to give to those who are in need. But really, they keep some of it for themselves. They pretend they're giving everything when really they're only giving part They're trying to hide what they've really done and lie about it. But who always knows when we don't tell the truth? Who knows what has really happened? God always knows. God always sees. We can't hide from Him. And God doesn't like it when we try to, when we try to lie to Him. And that's what... Ananias and Sapphira are trying to do here. They lie to the Holy Spirit. They lie to God's people. They lie to the community that God's Spirit has created. They're a bit like Scar because they betray the community and they threaten the peace and unity that everyone enjoys in this church. What happens if people start lying? Well, it means you can't trust them. And if you can't trust others, then it's harder to love them. You won't want to make sacrifices to support them. 
everything that's so good and beautiful and awesome about this community will be lost and corrupted if lying and deception is allowed to go unchecked. So Peter confronts Ananias about what he's done. Uh, He's not only lying to other people about the money, he's actually lying to God. He's pretending to be a very generous and kind person, but actually he's lying. Uh, Which is a bit strange because Ananias didn't have to do this. Peter points out in verse 4, Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? No one's forcing Ananias into this. No one was forced to sell their property and be generous. You only did it if you wanted to, to help others. But Ananias pretends. Maybe he wants other people to think that he's more generous than he really is. What happens next is uh, both shocking and confusing. He falls down and dies. Uh, I heard lots of the kids were practicing their falling down and dying in kids' church a few weeks ago. But this is no laughing matter for Ananias, is it? It seems that God makes him die because of what he did. That's how bad it was. And then the same thing happens to Sapphira. Uh, She too gets the opportunity to answer for herself and to tell the truth, but she doesn't. She lies. She pretends she gave everything and then she dies too. This might unsettle you. When God acts so swiftly and severely in judgment, it can raise questions for us. So take a moment to think, what questions does this raise for you? I'm going to give you a moment to talk with those next to you. Kids, this is an activity for you as well as for the adults in the room. What questions do you have? If you got the chance to ask God questions about this passage, what would you ask him? Take a minute to think and then I'll ask for a few, few people to share back. Okay, I'm going to ask you to uh, continue those conversations over morning tea. You might want to keep discussing those questions over morning tea, but there are a couple of people who'd be happy to share the questions you came up with. Yeah, Lula? Why did they have to die? Why did they have to die? Great question. Yeah, and happy birthday, Lula, as well. Uh, Zeb? Yeah. 
Yeah, why do people not die now when we lie? That's the other side of that question, isn't it? Harry? Did it happen to other people too? Did they do the same thing? Good questions. Any others? <laughs> Mel? Where was the opportunity for repentance to say sorry? Yeah. These are really great questions. Um, I'm not going to pretend that I can answer them now, even if I had the time. Sorry to disappoint. Um, but do keep talking. And uh, before we finish, let me say a couple of things to help us as we wrestle with a passage like this that I think is one of the, the most challenging in Acts to, to kind of fit in the rest of the story that we see. Uh, firstly, let me just point out, this is a unique moment in the history of God's people. Up till now, the early church has been a peaceful, united, joyful group proclaiming the gospel in the power of the Spirit. And now, for the first time, it's threatened by this internal sin. It's had a bit of pressure from outside, but internal sin for the first time. And so the response matters. This is going to set a precedent. It's so important when you're building trust and love and vulnerability and when people are making big sacrifices, costly sacrifices for others, that that trust isn't abused or manipulated for selfish gain. Uh, We've seen in more recent history how devastating it is when church leaders turn a blind eye to sin or allow abuse to continue without taking a firm line to stop it. Healthy boundaries are needed to protect a healthy community. Uh, That's part of the reason that we need to make sure we're upholding safe ministry practices in our church for the good of all. Uh, Secondly, this story shows us that just like in the Old Testament, so in the New Testament, God is still holy. He still wants His people to be free from sin and full of love and trust. God judges Ananias and Sapphira in a a very powerful and dramatic way. He shows us what the penalty for sin truly is. It becomes a warning to all the people. They fear God. They remember to approach Him with awe and with reverence. We can't take God for granted. We can't deceive Him or use Him for our own ends. It's a warning to us, not because God will necessarily strike us down straight away like he did here. In most cases, actually, God kindly holds back his wrath. He's he's merciful to us. He doesn't judge us straight away like this. But that doesn't mean that he thinks our sin is okay. We should take the warning in this passage to heart. To be humble before God to say sorry as soon as we can when we do the wrong thing. And we also are to say thank you because actually God isn't saving up his anger against us for later. If we say sorry to God and ask Jesus to forgive us, he does forgive us freely. God isn't angry with us. He won't kill us for our sin. Someone dies for our sin, but it's not us. Jesus died instead. He he took the penalty. He turned away God's anger when he died for us on the cross. 
so that we can say sorry to God and receive that forgiveness and not be afraid. Jesus died so that we can join God's beautiful community, even though we don't always tell the truth. We can be part of God's love. We can enjoy all the good things that God has to share with us because Jesus has died for us. In a few minutes, we're going to share the Lord's Supper as a church family together. Uh, It's a symbol of Jesus dying for us, his body and blood. It's also a symbol of being part of God's beautiful community as we all get to eat and share in this meal together. And so in a moment, we're going to sing to praise God, then we'll pray. Uh, After that, we're going to say sorry to God, confess our sins to him, so that we're not pretending or lying when we come to share in this meal together. And we're going to remember that Jesus has died for us so that we are forgiven. Well, let's stand and sing our next song together. My worth is not in what I own.